we're in the middle of a series, the last week of Jesus' life, and Tuesday, today is Tuesday. I was never more aware of, of the changes that needed to be made in my life than I was when I moved to a new house. And sometimes change can make you really think about how and why it is that you do the things that you do. When even the simplest things throw you for a loop and you begin to wonder, what was I doing when I came into the kitchen? <laughs> After being 12 years in the same house, coming into a new house, even frying an egg was a challenge. So, but it made me very intentional about frying that egg. And by the time I was done, I felt good about it. So Tuesday is a matter of the Tuesday in Jesus' life. There's a lot more text to it. There's a lot more happening on that day. And the changes are coming faster and harder. The end is coming quickly for Jesus. Things are ramping up. But before I tell you that story, I want to tell you another story. It's a story called You Are Special by Max Lucado. And it's one that I shared for all the uh, Upward kids one weekend as I was giving the devotion. The gist of the book is there's a woodcarver named Eli, and he lives in the grand house overlooking a village, a village full of wooden people called Wemmicks that he made himself. Think a town full of Pinocchio-type people. And the thing Wemmicks like to do all day, every day, is to give each other stickers. If they liked a, another Wemmick for their good looks or their talents or impressive personality, they gave each other stars. But if they didn't like someone because of a mistake they made or something silly that they did, they would walk up and give that Wemmick a gray dot. And there was a Wemmick named Punchinello. He was quite clumsy. His paint was dull and faded. He wasn't particularly good at anything. And every day he would try to jump or run or bounce a ball and he would fall, trip, or scrape his paint. And wooden people would gather around him and give him dots. And he would try to explain why he fell, but he would say something silly and they would give him more dots. And some would try, when he would try to fit in with all the other starred people, he, they would give him dots for no reason at all, just because he was full of dots. Trying to get through a single day without more dots, maybe beyond the hope that one day he would get a single star from someone someday. This was a mystery to Punchinello, and he was starting to believe what everyone thought of him. He began wearing the effects of everyone's opinion of him, and he wondered how anyone could be unscathed by unending criticism. On the other hand, he wondered how can you not get puffed up by persistent compliments or admiration and Punchinello didn't know and I don't either frankly uh, the answers start to become a little clearer for me when I look at Jesus especially the last few days of his life here on earth talk about the highs and the lows talk about the accolades and the criticism lots of stars trying to be given to him from his disciples and children and the masses while Others did all they could to cover Jesus with all the dots they could find, all the disapproval they could muster. Think about Sunday, the day of the parade, the triumphal entry. Everyone, almost everyone, singing his praises, speaking well of him, except the Pharisees. You know, they don't speak well of hardly anyone except each other. And then Monday was the clearing of the temple. The money changers, all those who's made his father's house a marketplace, he drove them out. But one thing we miss sometimes in that story, is that in Matthew 21, 14, it says that the blind and the lame came to him and they were healed. In the midst of all of that ruckus, he 
he was healing people, performing miracles. People were amazed. Children began to sing his praises. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law were furious and upset. And then came Tuesday. Jesus comes back into the temple courts, the same courts that he just turned upside down the day before. Can you imagine returning to the scene of the crime? And all the same people that you upset are still there trying to clean up what you just did the day before. Imagine the death stares he's getting, the grumblings he's hearing. What kind of tension do you think there was between him and the established leaders there in the temple? And he walked right in and he sat down. And don't miss this, he started teaching like he owned the place. Well, he kind of did, but they didn't think he did. And he just started teaching the people. And then began this section that is normally called the day of questioning. And it essentially begins in chapter 21, verse 23. And in the middle of that verse, the elders of the people came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Essentially, who do you think you are? You have no credentials. You have no pedigree. You have no advanced degrees, no status, no position. You walk in here rude. You throw all the furniture around and you think you can tell us what to do and you berate us as someone you think you're important. Who said you could say all this stuff? Jesus responds over the next couple chapters by asking questions of his own, by answering their questions, but not in ways that they were satisfied with. And they painted themselves in corners. And just to go through very quickly the question of John's baptism, where was it from? Did, did God give it to him or did he make it up? Well, they couldn't answer that self-incriminating question. John the Baptist was right, he said, and you didn't listen. And then there's the parable of the two sons. All of God's children, you are the ones who said all the right things, but you didn't do the right things. Those who think you're, who are undeserving are ahead of you in the kingdom. And by the way, John was right, and you didn't listen. Then there's the parable of the tenants, those that God, the creator, gave you all this stuff and you are not giving him his due. You are not giving him what, he, what is owed him, what he deserves, the blessings of all the things that he has granted you. You are keeping them to yourself. And there will be, you'll be held to account for this. And then chapter 22, there's a parable of the wedding banquet. The kingdom is a party and those who were invited didn't want to come. They snubbed the party giver. They snubbed the king. So the king says, all right, anybody can come. Everybody can come. The good and the bad, those who, are, who think they're right, those who know they're wrong, everybody is invited. And then the Pharisees teamed up with the Herodians. Talk about unlikely partners there in chapter 22, verse 15, paying taxes to Caesar. They tried to trap him. But Jesus saw right through that and left them speechless. And the crowds, this is all, in, it, you have to understand, in the context of this, it's not just Jesus and a group of teachers. It's Jesus, a group of teachers, the elders, the leaders, and all the people in the temple courts are watching and listening. Ever remember when you were a kid in your, in your public school and there might have been a little scuffle in the hallway where one administrator was hollering at a teacher? <laughs> or when a couple teachers got after each other? What did all the kids do? 
<laughs> we're listening. We're going to, okay, it's coming down. This is exactly what's happening. And Jesus answers them. And they all say, good answer, good answer. Yes, good answer, good answer. Survey says, no, they lose. Anyway, bad, bad, bad illusion there. The Sadducees took their turn trying to trap Jesus. Marriage at the resurrection, they didn't even believe there was a resurrection. Okay? And so Jesus answered them. They were left speechless. Turn the page, I'm turning the page. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? They spent all their time trying to figure out what the greatest commandment was, and he answered them. And then Jesus had a question of his own. One of those that they didn't really even think through. Whose son is the Christ? Well, he's the son of David. But David calls him a Lord. And why is it that David, whose son is the Christ, called David, why does David call him Lord? And they had no answer. Chapter 23 is a chapter just full. My Bible here says the seven woes. Jesus just spends an entire chapter here just raking them over the coals. He called them out in front of the crowds. He called them proud hypocrites. He called them sons of hell. He called them blind fools. He questioned the interpretation of Scripture and tradition. He doubted their motives, their intentions. He accused them of wanting to look good on the outside but being full of death on the inside. And he called them snakes, a brood of vipers, and questioned how they would ever escape going to hell. Pretty intense. And you have to wonder, if you're watching all this unfold, it's like a movie. I mean, what prompted Jesus to act this way? Why did he return to the, to the place where he just upset everybody in order to upset them again? He's already just poking the grumpy bear. It's almost like he's trying to get under their skin. Rewind the tape a couple days from the triumphal entry to the tirade that is Matthew 23. Jesus is all over the map emotionally. He, he's not out of control. He knows exactly what he's doing. And people of all sorts are responding. Some are applauding. Giving, trying to give him stars, Jesus just weeps for the city. Some are angry and throwing dots or whatever, and Jesus doesn't budge. Some are confused, but Jesus didn't try to explain himself very much. In her book, 40 Days of Decrease, Alicia Coley says, I picture Jesus smiling, looking around him at the radiant faces of the twelve and the hope-filled eyes of the masses. Knowing that the twelve would soon run for their lives and the masses would soon reject him, Jesus still stayed fully present for the party. And she writes, This quality of Christ strikes me as utterly remarkable. Honestly, I would have insulated myself from the crowd's favor because their favor would soon falter. Crowds are fickle that way. In contrast, throughout his ministry, Jesus consistently displayed an ability to receive from people in the moment what he knew would not endure. That phrase caught me. Jesus consistently displayed an ability to receive from people in the moment what he knew would not endure. How exactly does Jesus manage to do this? Not just here, but all over the Gospels. I think the only thing that makes sense to me was that Jesus was completely, unswervingly focused on his mission. The reason he came was no mystery to him. Everything he said and did was another stepping stone of obedience to the Father on his path to the cross. You see, one day, 
Punchinello met a wooden lady named Lucy, and she had no stars on her. And then he realized that she had no dots either. She was a stickerless Wemmick. And she had no care about other people's opinions, whether they approved of her or disapproved of her. Some would gather around and try to give her a star because she had no dots, but the star would fall off. And some would, some would gather around her because she had no stars. They looked down on her and they tried to give her a dot, but that didn't stick either. And Punchinella was amazed, and he asked Lucy how she did it, and she quickly said, It's easy. Every day, I go see Eli. Eli? asked Punchinello. Yes, the woodcarver on the house up on the hill. You should go spend some time with him, she said. Punchinello wasn't sure if his maker would want to see him. But he went the next day. He found the door cracked open, and he quietly let himself in. The woodshop was large, everything huge compared to his little size, and in fear, he turned to leave, and he heard his name, Punchinello. And he turned very slowly, and he, he said, you, you know my name? And the woodcarver said, of course I do. I made you. Come here, let me have a look at you. And Eli picked up the little Wemmick and set him on the bench, and he said, hmm, looks like you've been given some bad marks. And, and Punchinello immediately started apologizing. I'm sorry, Eli. I, I tried really hard. I, I didn't mean to do it. And Eli interrupted. Son, you don't have to defend yourself to me. I don't care what those other Wemmicks think, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. And what they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're mighty special. Punchinello laughed, and he said there was nothing special about him. He couldn't run, he couldn't jump, he couldn't play ball, he couldn't do any of that compared to the other talented, good-looking Wemmicks. And Eli said, you matter to me because I made you. You're mine. And he explained the stickers only stick if you let them. The stars and dots only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust in God's love, the more you trust his heart for you, the more you follow him in obedience to his commands, the less you care about what anybody else says or thinks about you, good or bad. So Eli wanted Punchinello to keep coming back, spending time with him every day. He would reshape the way he saw himself. It would reshape his value and his worth. It would reshape his purpose and his mission and his actions. Punchinello had lots of wounds, do you? Punchinello had lots of marks. And the woodcarver wanted the battered and scarred Wemmick to be healed and whole and confident and free. Free of the need for others' approval. Free of the fear of being misunderstood. Free of the fear of failure. He wanted the Wemmick to be free of the dread of making someone, anyone, unhappy with him. Seeking only the approval of his creator, knowing he already has it in droves. So when Punchinello turned to leave, Eli said, Remember, you're special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. And for a moment, Punchinello thought, I wonder if he means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. At this point, the story ends. The book is over, and we're left to wonder what happens to Punchinello. Does he follow Lucy's advice and go see Eli every day? 
Does he lose all of his dots and become more like Lucy, hanging out with her and other Wemmicks like her who spend more time with Eli than they do anyone else? Does Punchinello begin to think and act more like his maker? Do the dots stick to him less? The stars matter less to him? Does he find peace? Does he smile more? Does he worry less? Does he find the ability to truly relax and face other people who really don't like him? Does he find himself walking a little straighter? He cares about others more because he's not so consumed with his own fears and anxieties about what others might think of him. Do other Wemmicks look at Punchinello after a few months and go, wow, what's come over that guy? Or does he run out of that wood shop and run into the same star-studded people on the way home those who make fun of him, those who belittle him and question why a Wemmick like him could ever hope to be free of his dots. Did he hear the stars upon thars, Wemmicks, say, look at you, you're hopeless. Why, why would Eli want to see you anyway? Did he walk into his house? Did he shut the door behind him and let fear take over? Did he say to himself, what am I thinking? But I'm, I'm a dot-covered Wemmick. It's all I'll ever be. Eli doesn't know what he's talking about. There's no way that I can change. I guess there's no way that we can know his story. But you can know yours. You can know yours. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, on the Jesus of Tuesday, and then the Jesus of Thursday and of Friday, and especially Sunday, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, spend time with God like Jesus spent time with his Father, if you see the example of Christ living in full confidence within the Father's purpose for him, hearing both praises and the anger of those in the parade, voices of Hosanna and those who shout crucify, if we listen to him, I dare say, we'd stop collecting stars and you'd stop worrying about dots. Look around your life right now. Whose approval do you crave that you never can seem to get enough of? It's never quite enough. Who is it that you can never seem to please? Let that go. And gain your confidence from the one who is already pleased with you. And is working on you from within the relationship. Not giving you the stuff arm saying, you better straighten yourself up before I'll bring you to myself. Listen to the one who's already embraced you and called you his own. Are you living each day trying to feed off the stars of praise that you get? Let that go. And quit feeding your ego with other people's compliments and feed yourself with your identity in Christ as a child of the King. Father, thank you so much that we can come to you as children, as children who don't question your never-ending love, but when we do, you reassure us that you've already chosen us. You've already given us the gift of forgiveness through Christ. We are clothed with your righteousness. And that's good news, especially for those who don't know that and need to help us to be a light and to share that with others in the midst of an increasingly uncertain uh, world that seems to change like the shifting sands, but we know that you do not. 
We give this to you, and we ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen.